0: This is the James Altucher Show on the Stansbury Radio Network. I have one of my heroes on the podcast with me today, Matt Barry. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Matt, I don't think you even realize why you're one of my heroes. So, for A, I just want to explain to the audience um, you're the founder and CEO of freelancer.com. And in 2006, one of the companies that you have since acquired, uh, I outsourced the development of a website for just a few thousand dollars, which I ended up selling for a huge amount just eight months later. So I just love the whole impact that freelancer.com is having on the entrepreneurial economy. That's phenomenal. I mean, it's... uh, uh, Another success story for you. <laughs> That's great. I mean, what's really
1: exciting about running a marketplace like ours, so for, for the listeners that are out there, I mean, basically, we're, we're eBay for jobs. We have 15 million users from around the world. In fact, we just hit that milestone two weeks ago, who have posted 7.5 million jobs. And the sorts of jobs that can be done on our sites is really anything with a computer. So jobs like website design, James James had a website built, for example, uh, graphic design, uh, translation, copywriting, and so forth about you know, about five or six years ago we had about twenty different categories of jobs. Now we have seven hundred and fifty, so we have areas like aerospace engineering, genetic engineering, biotechnology, manufacturing, you name it. So really any sort of job that can be done with a computer.
0: So so um, so Matt, let me ask you about that. What kind of aer- what the, what what does an aerospace engineer do on freelancer.com? How does he become a freelancer? Um, well, it's, it's it's pretty amazing actually. You, you kind of think, well, who you
1: know, our our employers are primarily small businesses, consumers from Western economies, so the US, UK, Canada, Australia. The freelancers are primarily from emerging economies, so India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Philippines. So you think to yourself, how is it possible that someone from an emerging economy is is working in the aerospace industry? And then you look at the Indian Indian aerospace industry, and it's huge. It's much bigger than Australia's, for example. So. Um, you know the, the sorts of jobs I've seen go through there, and every year it does blow me away in terms of the complexity and the sophistication of the jobs. They're really – every year it gets better and better and better. But I've, I've seen things like computational fluid dynamics over a, over, a, over an aerospace body. I've seen a um, – I think it was a California electric car company get a drivetrain assembly designed through our site. I mean, you do see all sorts of crazy things because, you see, in the developing world um, – they're just like you or I. So, you know, give an opportunity in an education, um, just as smart. Only, only I kind of call them PhDs. Poor, hungry, driven. They, they work harder. They, they work. They, they, they have a much better work ethic than, than I think many of many of my compatriots in, in, in Australia, for example. And, and you know, you know, the internet now is really proliferating knowledge in in, in such an amazing way. Um, where you know, if you have an internet connection, to a computer, you really you can just go online. And if you want to, you know, learn how to do. You know, uh, learn, learn a subject in aerospace engineering. I mean, MIT and Harvard and Stanford and all the big universities around the world—they've had their course material online for you know well over a decade or so. And now you've got like this revolution in, in with the Udacity and Coursera and all these online universities, where you have you know more sophisticated courses being provided in, in really any subject area you, you you want. So so you know, people who have an education can jump in and work in a skilled area. But if if you don't, you can skew yourself up thanks to the internet.
0: Yeah. So for instance, um, as an example, let's say someone is. Feeling stuck and tired in their in their job, wants to work from home. Maybe they want to um, be around their kids more or whatever. Uh, they could uh, use a, something like Code Academy or Lynda.com to learn WordPress skills, and then suddenly, you know, they can list their skills on Freelancer.com and they could bid for jobs and start making a living. That's right. I mean, it's
1: a fantastic platform, not just to turn your ideas into reality. If you're an entrepreneur and you have an idea for a website like you did to kind of get them, get them done really cost effectively and, and, and quickly. But, but also, if, if you are a, a freelancer and, and you want to or you're, a, you're in a certain career and you want to change career or you have a, a hobby or a passion or an interest in, 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 in doing something new, it, it allows you to really architect your career. Um, so maybe for a few weeks you learn about web design you work on a few websites then you maybe want to learn about you know, mobile phone app development you can do that for a few weeks and then maybe you want to learn about music or some, something, something completely new, wearable computing or maybe have a, have a program for the Apple, Apple Watch that's now come out it, it really allows you to kind of architect your career and, so, and it, doesn't matter where, it doesn't matter where you are you might be in a remote community or a regional community and you can kind of work in, in, in these areas which, is, which I think is really special
0: Right, and the flip side of that is, let's say I'm an entrepreneur and I come up with an idea for an app for the Apple Watch. I can then go to yeah. Freelancer.com. I can put out the spec of my idea. I'm not, if I'm outsourcing to you know one of these third world countries, I'm not really worried about anybody stealing my idea. Uh, I I get the app built and upload to the Apple Store, and I'm in business.
1: I mean, that's, it's basically as simple as that. I mean, really, you're only limited by your imagination now. If you have that spark of an idea, that spark of creativity in terms of starting a business or starting a – developing a product or a service or whatever it may be, we take the time, the cost, and the hassle out of turning that idea into reality by connecting you with an online workforce. I mean, to get like an app built, for example, I think the average price for like an Apple uh, iPhone app at the moment is around $650. So it, it really is quite inexpensive at quite low cost to kind of really get – you know, get these things done.
0: I don't think most people realize that. I think, mo- like, I think a lot of people think, oh, I'm going to have to spend $20,000 for an app. Uh, but, like, I'll just tell you the example. Like, so when I started this this website in, in 2006, first I wanted some designs and so for a couple hundred dollars, they, they did, I spec'd out the site and they designed every uh, p- page of the site. And then I said, okay, implement it now, code it. And that cost me $2,000 to code the first version of the site. And then altogether, maybe I spent less than like $8,000 for a site that had millions of users ultimately. Yeah. And you, so, you, you you mentioned in your blog, so you have a blog, nothing ventured, nothing gained. You, you haven't written on it in a while. But you mentioned uh, one example where you saw an online store. Uh, I think it was selling like um, paints or whatever. And you decided yeah. to just completely duplicate the store and then also hire a freelancer to get you high on SEO. And then you started making like on average $300 a day in sales. So this is yeah. So this is
1: a long time ago. Uh, this is when I was. Um, this is this, is how, this is when I sort of really discovered the whole industry. Before I started freelance.com, I was using some of the small sites that are out there in the space, and and I had I had this I had this concept in my head of you know in the future could there possibly be companies that could exist that actually don't have any staff where you've got a business model which works so well that. You know, really, it's just automated. It's all run by software, and you can just generate revenue without actually having to employ anyone. So you know, I had this little bit of an idea. I found, I found this website that did um, a wholesaling of, of, sort of art and craft supplies, and um, I basically just mirror, you know, hired some freelancers to mirror that website, uh, but just mark everything up in terms of a retail price. And then um, I used that retail – every time an order was placed on the retail website, I basically – uh, it sent an order off to the wholesale website who just drop ship it for me, and then I had a, hired a freelancer for about three hundred and fifty dollars a month do customer service and just kind of deal with customer queries and update the site and keep it running and so forth. And in fact, uh, the site so wasn't making a lot of money, but the, but the, but the model kind of worked. And um, could, in fact, could
0: could you have extended that like to basically do a thousand stores? No, oh,
1: I, I think I think I think I probably could have extended. In, I, don't, I don't know about a thousand stores, but I certainly could have ex- extended that model uh, significantly further. Um, but you know, in fact, I mean, that site that, that was kind of running for so long, I actually forgot the, the, the password to the PayPal account. <laughs> and a few years later, I got logged in and kind of, oh, there's a little bit of money there. I mean, obviously, over time, that, that, you know, I didn't put any investment at the time or energy into that business. So it, it, did, it did eventually kind of, you know, you know dwindle away. But so it was kind of it was an interesting little sort of concept um, for kind of what you, what you can do um, using freelancers.
0: Yeah. So, so who's, who right now would you say is making money, making a living even by Western standards on freelancer.com? Like what kind of skill set? How, how do I, let's say I'm sitting in my cubicle and I'm stuck. And how do I now, um, let's say I have some skills or I, or I take some courses and take some skill get some skills. Yeah. How do I become a freelancer and start making a living? Well, I mean, the beauty about the site is everyone on the site is there to make
1: money. So whether you're an employer being primarily small business owners and startups and so forth in, the, in Western economies or freelancers in developing world economies, you're there to make money. So if you're in the US, for example… You probably set up a website to do something. I mean, sell products online, or, or um, you know, um, come up with a blog with, you know, with some sort of model, maybe a membership model, or whatever it may be. If you're a freelancer, you're there building a services business. So everyone is really there to make money, and you know, so that's what's great is everyone's kind of you're dealing with a network of really entrepreneurs. Where on both sides you've got you're empowering entrepreneurs in the West. You're empowering entrepreneurs to help get things done with the workforce, and the other side you're empowering entrepreneurs. In developing, developing economies with jobs and opportunity and income, where it just doesn't exist. If you're in Bangladesh and you want to work in, say, SEO, for example, the jobs are very few and far between, and they pay very much. Um, like, and, and, you know, I really, I mean, if you're if you're in the US, for example, really where I encourage you to how, how to use the site is to start a business. I mean, everyone's got ideas on how, how on, on on you know something that they kind of would love to do um, in, in terms of running their own business,
0: and we we really make it easy to kind of do
1: that, right? So. Yeah.
0: But do you, do you think also there's a, a trend towards insourcing in the sense that if I'm in the U.S. I still might hire somebody in the U.S. and pay the higher prices just because it's easier to communicate and uh, uh, you know I understand exactly what kind of work ethic I'm getting and I can do due diligence and so on. Well, I think I think I think there are good reasons to to actually hire locally
1: and and have employees. I I don't think it's really the reasons are really around communication or around the, the work ethic because I think you'll actually find that the free answers from emerging economies, actually the work ethic is way, way beyond what you'd actually get from a local provider. I mean, mm. people are making their month in a few hours or a few days, so they're really just interested in, you know, unlimited, you know, whatever it takes to keep you happy, unlimited revisions, et cetera, and so forth. I think the, I think the key reasons to hire um, uh, and employ people directly is if you really have something that's core to your business, like really like core intellectual property, like if you're a if you're a software company, for example, and you've got some you know, some core algorithms or some core infrastructure, you know it might make sense and, 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 you know, that you need to have that, those stuff locally to kind of get the business done. But there's a lot of things that don't need to be core. And there's a lot of things that get done a lot better if you actually outsource them. So, for example, if you if you kind of want to get you know, a whole bunch of your know, graphic design done for flyers or for brochures, or you want to get you know, some internet marketing done, or you want to get translation done, I mean, the, these sort of jobs, it's, it's much much better to kind of just use the freelance model than, than to actually try and hire someone locally and and you know employ them full time.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll give you a quick example. I, I uh, recently uh, took a, a best selling book, a book that's on the on the bestseller list. And I use freelancer.com to basically hire someone to rewrite the book but uh, keep it exactly the same but just change every word and move the sentences around a little so it's not plagiarism. And so I have the exact – and then I use freelancer.com to design a cover and I use Facebook to A-B test uh, different covers that I got off of freelancer.com. And the whole thing cost me about uh, $3,000. I haven't yet released <laughs> the book but it's it's ready to go.
1: I mean, it's just so easy. I mean, I saw I saw another book that went through a few a few weeks ago. This is pretty crazy. So we've got two different ways you can get work done on the site. The main way that jobs get done uh, is by posting a project, which is the traditional outsourcing model. So you, you you type a short description of what you want done, you set a budget, you hit post, and people from around the world bid on it. And you can ask them questions and kind of you know pick who you want up want to, want to hire and, and ultimately award them the job. And but we have a, we have another model in which you can get jobs done, which is cra- the crowdsourcing model. And this is where you put up a prize and then people compete for that prize. So you might say, you know, design me a logo, um, you know, the prize is $50 or $100 or $10 or whatever it may be, and then people from around the world will contribute designs, and it's very interactive. You say, I like this, I don't like this, change the colours or whatever, and you can converge really rapidly to a great outcome. Now, the book I saw recently used the crowdsourcing model, and the book was a cookbook for designing recipes with saffron. And what they said was, um, I want, anyone from around the world can submit a recipe to me um, but you've got to put a nice photo with your submission and if I like the recipe and I like the photo and, and I select it for the cookbook, I'll pay you $7. And it literally it was in a, a couple of days that it selected one or 200 different recipes and basically the content of the cookbook was done. You just didn't have to get a typeset and, and the cover design and so forth, which also is very easy to do on the site. But it, it's just amazing the power of crowdsourcing and, and how you can just really supercharge the business models and supercharge ideas for products. But if you think about creatively, how to how to kind of build these things.
0: So that's amazing. So then they can just upload. They have like a couple hundred recipes. They can upload that to Amazon. They can get SEO going on saffron recipes, and bam, they'll probably they'll make their money back and then some. That's right. That's right. So, what's what's like the craziest job you've seen outsourced where you were where you said to yourself, "I can't believe this was put on freelancer.com?
1: Well, I mean, the stuff that I'm I'm really, really, really excited about right now that that you know, I I think it's kind of crazy when I look at it. It's, I guess it's not crazy in the sense of crazy, is the stuff that people are getting done in the manufacturing sections. So people are people are coming up with ideas like you know, I want to have a lawn sprinkler that connects to Wi Fi that will connect to Twitter and Facebook and and, and tweet certain things at certain times of the day as it's watering the the lawn or watering the the paddock. And, and, and updating its status to Facebook and so forth. And what's actually happening is there's a lot of factories around the world in places like China that have spare capacity and they've, they've all got design teams. And what they'll do is they'll put their design teams onto bidding on these jobs and designing the product for you very, very cheaply uh, because they'll say, if you want 5,000 units or 10,000 units by next month, here's the price freight on board to San Francisco or, or wherever it may be. So literally people are getting products designed with just a spark of an idea. I mean, there was a guy the other day that got a... Um, he wrote in a little story and said, I had the most amazing experience. He, um, he, had, uh, he was living in a dilapidated mansion, and he said his friends called the Playboy mansion, and he wanted to run a party. And uh, he was in Australia, and um, he wanted to have these giant inflatable swans in the pool for this pool party. The problem is, the only place he could find them to buy them online was from the US, and because they weigh 3.5 kilos when they deflated, it was going to be very, very expensive for the freight to, to ship them across. So he I thought, well, maybe I can get someone in China to make them for me really cheaply, and I can kind of buy a bunch of them and sell some of them online and kind of get my swans cheaply rather than have to pay all these you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars of freight. And so he posted a contest, again, the crowdsourcing model, saying design for me an inflatable pull toy swan. Um, I think he put up a prize of about $400 for that. Uh, these factories from around the world, including China, would bid on it submitting 3D designs for the inflatable swan. And literally, he ended up buying uh, 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 $5,000 worth of product because that's the minimum order from a factory generally. He paid $16 per unit freight on board delivered to Australia. So I think it was about 400 units up to the time he got his first order. He sells them online at giantswan.com. For about a hundred dollars each, and um, he's built like this pool toy empire now, just sitting basically at home in his underpants or his pajamas, maybe as you are now, um, uh, selling these things online. In fact, he's got a new product now called Giant Flamingo, uh, uh, Giant Flamingo, which is GiantFlamingo.com, and he'll ship around the world uh, these inflatable toys. And um, you know, the box design was was I think a contest that cost about two hundred dollars in the crowdsourcing model. Uh, that the design of the toy itself was about four hundred dollars. Um, he sells it using Shopify. So uh, he did a, a he did a, um, a skin for Shopify, which I think was about two hundred and fifty dollars using freelancers. And really, I mean, this is an idea that he financed off the back of a credit card. He, he said he said he, uh, he had a bit of a complaint recently. He said, um, "Yeah, I used to just go down to the post office every day and and drop a few of these off on my scooter, uh, but I'm now doing thirty five hundred dollars per day in sales. And I have to take my car down twice uh, with a load full of these products because." Uh, I'm selling so many so you know and, and he, could he
0: drop ship from the manufacturer Well
1: they do they've offered to do that now so that's what, that's exactly what he's done he's and in fact he's now moved to Bali and uh, he's just living a life you know sitting on the beach somewhere in Bali uh, selling these pool toys internationally and it, and it's all been financed just uh, off the back of a credit card
0: that's that's incredible okay t- tell me another story well you just uh, you're sorry. just like an entrepreneur storyteller. <laughs> Uh, look, look, I, 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 look! I'll tell you. I'll tell you a pretty
1: amazing story, and this is a, this is a story about um, using freelancers that um, my my major investor in, in, in the business uh, did many many years ago, and this is kind of how he made a lot of money um, uh, at a very young age. He started a company called uh, PC Tools, um, and they produced a, um, a, a software, an antivirus software uh, program called um, Spyware Doctor, and he actually hired some freelancers. This is many years ago. This is about a decade ago, and he paid $1,000 to a team in India who just writes some antivirus software, and he put it on downloads.com, and it became the number one download on downloads.com. So this product originally was $1,000. He would sell it online for about uh, $40 per month. The business model was fantastic, actually. What the way the business model worked was it, it was a freemium model. I think maybe some of your listeners might, might know that. It's, it, but basically, it's, a, it's, it's where you offer a free version of the product, um, which has some functionality in it. But then, um, uh, if you want to kind of upgrade and get a premium functionality, you have to pay it a fee. So, what would happen would be you would get a virus in your laptop. You would search Google for free antivirus. You would find um, you know, Spyware Doctor on, uh, on downloads.com. It would be free. You would download it. It would run on your computer for a few hours. It would scan for viruses. It would say, yes, we've found viruses. Would you like me to remove them for you? You would say, yes. And it would say, please put your credit card in and pay $49.95 per year. He actually bootstrapped that business to $40 million a year in revenue oh with God. no external financing. He paid $1,000 originally for the first software um, to be developed. And the, the, the rest of the business was absolutely bootstrapped from that. He took a little bit of money in. He scaled up to about $100 million in revenue. And he actually sold it to Symantec. Uh, for about three hundred million dollars, and that's kind of how he how he how he originally made his money. And then 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 of course he he invested in us uh, in in, in, the, in the very very early days, and he's made a significant amount of money money after that. But you know, this was a business that was was basically started with a bunch of freelancers uh, building a software product that cost a thousand dollars.
0: So so you're right now able to see. What the what the trends are? Whether people are buying, yeah. uh, you know, at, they're making apps for Facebook. Are they making apps for Android? Yeah. Or are they making apps for yeah. iTunes? What kind of trends are you seeing? And what, what's kind of surprising you in the trends of what people are outsourcing right now?
1: It's um it's it's pretty time that you asked me that question actually, because uh, we actually publish a, a quarterly uh, trends report called the Fast Fifty. In fact, that's going to be released on Monday. Um, where we look at, um, you know, and we think it's a very good forward-living indicator of what products are doing well, what companies are doing well, uh, what technologies are doing well, and, and so forth. You know, we've seen a really big boom in all things 3D uh, recently. So, you know, everything from um, 3D modeling for 3D printing right through to animation, video, et cetera, work. Um, what, do seeing, you mean, what do you mean, uh, animation, video? So, you know, people, you know, people, are, people are you know, making videos to shop, you know, shop you know their product and so they're doing they're doing you know sort of um uh, nice little visual uh animations where they're hiring freelancers to kind of do the graphics for them and those videos and doing that quite inexpensively so you know tv commercials and and um youtube commercials and things like that uh product intros um product you know like you got the faq section now on a bunch of sites and instead of having a bunch of text there you can have little videos to kind of explain how the product works and so forth so we're seeing, seeing a big boom in that um we, I mean, we've just added the um, the Apple Watch category, so we're seeing seeing. I it's a very low base, but we're seeing a big pickup there. And of
0: well, what's, you, an, what's an example app for the Apple Watch? Like, how would I? Let's say I'm going to start trying to be clever with the Apple Watch. What, what, what direction should I think? Well, I think I think I think I think the starting point for that is really going to be around um,
1: really notifications for the most part. I mean, I I actually haven't got my hands on a watch yet, so I I I, I I'm only really theorizing here in terms of its use. But from what I see or the apps that people are putting together right now, it's really around, um, you know, uh, communi- communicating in some way uh, using the watch in terms of, you know, whether maybe maybe you've got an existing product, um, which may be a mobile app, but instead of sending the notifications to the phone, now you can send them to the watch so people can get a glimpse of, you know, uh, some stats or some data or a message coming in or an update or, or, or whatever it may be. I see. Think- so it would be
0: pretty cool, like, for instance, if I have my Google notifications you know, pop up every time my name's mentioned somewhere, I can now have it on my watch.
1: Um, maybe, I mean, maybe, I mean, on your, on your, on your blog, you can, you can you know, maybe glimpse it, you know, if you're selling, if you're selling products from your blog or your subscriptions or, or what however you monetize it, you know, once in a while getting, you know, little updates of kind of how, how sales are going or, or, um, you know, if, if someone submits a sort of custom, a query or sends you a, a message through the blog, you know, getting an update on that, or traffic stats or, or alerts if something goes if, if the blog goes down for example and there's a there's a critical error yeah, you it's know, streaming in the messages from that you know I, I, I mean in terms of category I think that the category killer um, apps there are, uh, for the watch they're going to be around like healthcare and you know apps for the aged so you know if you've got a um, you know, there's a lot of I've seen have seen a lot of um, companies uh, or early, early stage startups pitch ideas around you know, you know, um, aged care. So you know, citizens, senior citizens tend to suffer from you know, things like you know, falls and so forth. And 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 you know, if there's a way where you can put a watch on their on on, on their arm and, and they can kind of hit a, hit a button and kind of um, get someone to respond or get someone to kind of monitor their health or get someone to kind of you know. Assist in, in in something kind of um you know more easily. I think there's a lot of opportunity there. A lot of opportunity in, in sort of personal healthcare and personal um yeah, analytics uh, for for health. Yeah, uh, you know, I think it's a whole new category. So, and it's a pretty exciting category. So um
0: and and are the, are there freelancers yet on the other side of the equation who have the skill set to develop Apple Watch apps? Absolutely. I mean, they've been design, they've
1: been, they've been working on iOS for years, you know, doing obviously Apple, um, uh, iPhone and uh, iPad uh, applications. And so it's just a natural extension from that.
0: And so how much does it cost like for me to hire, let's say a freelancer in the Philippines to make an Apple watch app? I would, it would be in the hundreds of dollars to
1: low thousands. So wow. depending on functionality.
0: And, um, Android versus, uh, you know, uh, iOS, how, how are you, is that a trend that you keep track of? Uh, we do track it quarter and quarter and quarter. It's a it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a constant battle. There's
1: been a bit of an upsurge just recently because um uh, i the obviously interest because the, the the Apple Watch um has come out. So there's been a bit of a bit of an upsurge. But I mean, Android is Android's been dominating uh sort of quarter on quarter. In, the, in the US people, or around the world? Around the world. I mean, a lot more people have Android phones than they do um Apple phones. Right, right.
0: So so okay. So it, basically, if I'm in the US, the way I should be thinking is hmm, what businesses can I start cheaply that can potentially scale up and I could could use freelancer.com to hire someone super cheap to make it, whether it's uh, a book writing or a website or an app or an app on top of Facebook or whatever. And if I'm in a developing country, I can certainly make a living. If I have, like, WordPress skills, programming skills, 3D printing skills. Um, Have you seen anybody make a living outsourcing 3D printing jewelry or anything like that? Um, I've
1: seen, I've, I've definitely seen some companies um, that are that are getting going in that space for sure. And and, and it's and, um, in fact, actually, I was at Singularity University a little while ago, and there's a company that um, that came out of the graduate program there that was um, looking at 3D printing actual uh, fine jewelry um, uh, on the on the platform. I've seen I've seen a few things kind of go through. I think I think what we're we're in the in the midst of a, of a big big boom in, in in this whole area. I mean, it's going to revolutionize. So many industries, and just like the video, um, like the, the the movie industry and the and the music industry, and and so forth, and the book industry, uh, had just suffered from massive disruption as distribution became digital. You're going to see this now in the physical goods industry. So there's a lot of companies out there that make manufactured products that are actually quite um, uh, straightforward. If if you if you had a 3D printer, so things like you know the starting point will be. Imagine if you're a Lego, right? I mean, basically, you print plastic blocks uh, and, you, and you and you sell them. You know, it, it, as yeah, every little kid at some point, I don't know if it's good this Christmas or next Christmas, but there's been a $199 3D printer that's been under everyone's kid, every kid's little Christmas tree at some point. You know, the, the, the distribution of, of, of this product is going to go going to go digital, even though it's a physical product, right? And it's not going to be simple things like um, Airfix models or Lego toys or whatever. It's going to be more complicated and sophisticated things, things printed in metals and ceramics and nylons, et cetera. And, and really, it's going to, this is the really next big thing that's going to gonna shake up the world. So I think there's a huge number of opportunities here where people come up with ideas and startups uh, taking advantage of, of, of the upcoming revolution in 3D printing.
0: I mean, right now, all I can think of is jewelry, really. Like if I, if I have a design for jewelry, and then I, I outsource to a 3D printer maybe through freelancer.com and then also let them drop ship it for me and I set up like an Etsy store and, or an eBay store and have the whole thing running outside of my house. Oh,
1: so, I mean, there's plenty of things. I mean, and, I mean, I think Jay Leno gets um, his antique cars. Uh, the parts are no longer available, and um, the way that the antique car owners used to kind of um, you know repair their cars is either you have to customly really make the part from scratch, or you had to go to um, like these, these meetups or fairs or swap events and try and you know, rummage around in old in, in, in parts that people collected, looking for the bits and pieces. I mean, there's opportunity there, and someone making a um, like the Amazon of parts for cars that are no longer manufactured, right? Um, so, you know, I, I, actually, um, I actually use freelancers to get a part manufactured for my, my car. I have a car where the, um, the cargo clip broke at the back, uh, which is just holding a cargo net in. And so I, I actually um, I bought a, um, a 3D – I had a 3D printer and I thought, well, how can I get like a 3D um, – uh, how can I get the model to actually print out to replace this cargo clip? because <coughs> like in Australia, it's very expensive to kind of get car parts. So I actually bought a 3D scanner and I scanned in this part and then obviously the, the, the part that it scanned in wasn't perfect. And I actually hired a friend to go fix the model up. So they took the model and they kind of, they, they made it smooth and, and, and made, made, it, you know, made it the right size and, and so forth. And I actually printed it out and I, I used it in my car. And it wasn't perfect because the plastic material at the moment in the, in the Replicator 2X I use is, um, I think it was ABS or PLA, and it's kind of bristle. Um, but, you know, you give it a year or two and, and, you know, people will be printing all sorts of things at home. I mean, why would you go to the hardware store and buy uh, tools, right, when you can just print them out and when you're done with them, you can throw them back in the hopper and, and maybe recycle the plastic, right? I mean, there's, there's, I mean when, when, they, when they send the next, um, uh, when they send the mission to Mars uh, out there, they're not going to send out the astronauts with the toolkit. They're going to send them out with a 3D printer and a bunch of goop and they're going to go print their tools on demand and then recycle them as they, as, right. as they um, you know, as they stop using them. So, so what's the what's the largest project you've seen go through freelancer.com, like in terms of dollars? Last time I last time I checked, and it was a little while ago, and this project's ongoing. It was three hundred and forty thousand dollars. It was um, that was a, a freelancer that was hired to do a, a ongoing series of um, templates for a, a library of of, of um, website designs, uh, but. We are seeing some very large projects go through um, you know, on, a, on a regular basis. One that happened uh, last month was the hiring of a naval engineer in Spain to fly to uh, Norway and reverse engineer a boat. And that was a $40,000 project that was um, uh, sourced and hired and, and paid in full through the platform.
0: Wow. Um, who, like, so- Was it a company uh, that needed to reverse engineer this particular boat or like a rich individual or – you know, I, I I don't have the specifics. This is just this is just mentioned by that. It was actually
1: um, uh, one of the support team members kind of just sent me an email about kind of about it. That's I don't I don't have the full specifics. But that's that's kind of like the general general gist of what happens. I mean, we have we have about six thousand projects a day going through the site. So <laughs> there's a there's a huge number of really interesting stories that people they kind of get generated on a daily basis in terms of what people are doing.
0: You know, it's very interesting. Like as kind of you, you're as you grow, you're going to start to become. A slice of the world economy, so there'll be much less reasons for uh, much fewer reasons for uh, large corporations to fill certain jobs when they know they can uh, kind of have a, a chief of freelancing who will outsource many of the jobs pr- on a project by project basis. And you think this could potentially contribute to uh, a general decline in income, or or perhaps an equalizing of income around the world? <sighs> I do think certainly over time that the world,
1: worldwide labor um, uh, yeah, wages are, are going to start to equalize. I mean, you're seeing this already where you look at countries like China and there's rapidly rising wages, Philippines rapidly rising wages. I mean, this is, this is all fantastic because the quality of life of someone uh, changes just, just dramatically dramatically. Um, as they kind of go up that sort of S curve of industrialization, when you go from making, you know, you know, $10 a day or maybe less than that. say so, you know, two or $3 a day, which is, you know, you know the poverty line, you know, the quarter of your life going from two or $3 a day to $10 a day is, is huge in terms of healthcare and education and, and housing and so forth. And going from $10 a day to $10 an hour is, 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 is again, is just, it's just a huge, it has a huge impact on people's lives. So, you know I, I absolutely do think that worldwide wages will will, will um, start to you know you know they'll continue to rise in the developing world um, you know obviously the, the challenge in the developed world economies is to is to really move up the value chain and and um, you know in countries like the US and, and and the UK and so forth the big edge that that, that um, the countries like ours have is really just the edge of you know, the level of education uh, of the population and You know, education always has been the the lubricant of you know upwards mobility of a workforce, and I think that I think the key challenge and the key key thing I think Western economies need to think about is really just to really ensure that the workforce is as educated and flexible as possible. And you know, it's a challenge, but the great thing is that that all is all the whole wealth of human knowledge is now accessible through the internet, and you've got these great great sites like Udacity and Coursera where. You can learn a new subject pretty much for free or a very low cost, and so the way that education is going to be distributed globally is is changing. And 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 again, that's all heading to an online marketplace model as well, where you know the traditional bricks and mortar institutions of you know, colleges and universities are going to struggle in a world where you can go and get a Harvard or Stanford or whatever lecturer online for free to teach you just about anything you want to learn.
0: Why do you think? Why do you think so many companies still require that degree, given that? Um a, getting the degree might not still might not provide the skills necessary for a job, but many of the skills can be acquired now for, like you say, for free or for low cost.
1: Yeah, well, you yeah, know, for now it is it is a pedigree getting a, a bachelor's degree. Um, but I'll I tell you a, a, an interesting thing that happened a, a little while ago. And we hired an engineer from Poland uh, to work full-time here in the office here in Sydney, and he had just come across the country and he submitted his transcript. And his transcript, he, he had a master's in robotics uh, or mechatronics from a Polish university, but he also listed uh, the five Coursera courses that he had done um, and the marks he had got for those courses and actually my, the team leaders of engineering that were interviewing him actually it was interesting to watch they were more excited about the courses that he had done on Coursera than they were about the degree because they said oh, i 've heard about that course that course is fantastic that's got this, this, this guy's teaching it et etc how is that and they spent they spent the entire time talking about the courses he had done online rather than, <laughs> than the actual um The actual uh, degree is done. Two degrees are done.
0: Gosh, I hope my uh, I hope my kids listen to this podcast because I really don't want them to go to college. And (laughs) I take courses on Coursera, and they're brilliant compared to what I experienced in college. Well, I mean, just like
1: on freelance, you can architect your career with Coursera. You can architect your education, right? So instead of having a uh, you know four year bachelor's style degree where you go through a, a rigid you know structure of progression you can really just architect the education you want right so you know maybe yeah i mean the, 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 yeah I, I've, I've done a number of degrees and one of the things that's always frustrating when you're doing a degree at university is you want to enroll in the course that's over in the other faculty and they won't let you because you know it's the wrong course code or it's the wrong faculty or we won't get credit for it etc and, and and the great thing about online learning now is that that that, that you, you can do that you can just kind of pick a bunch of courses and kind of you know architect that path and not just that but the sophistication that's going to come in with online education, it's going to allow you to learn a lot quicker because you can personalize the the learning experience based upon your progression right, so as you go through these checkpoints you do questions and so forth the software is going to know what you where you doing well or, you know so we'll let kind of let you kind of you know let you progress at a certain pace through that and where you're struggling and 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 it's going to come back and it's going to provide sort of reinforced learning around you know the areas that you're not so good at and maybe it'll understand that you know the reason why you're struggling in a certain area is because you don't have the foundations from a you know from from some other you know, other areas underneath it and it's, it's going to it's going to educate you on that
0: well I wonder I wonder if um, even freelancer.com could become a platform for that kind of education so let's say I need to learn a certain set of uh, skills about WordPress and integrating with a shopping cart um, I want to outsource somebody to, to teach me those skills um, um, you know potentially you could be like a tutoring platform
1: yeah I, I, it's funny you mentioned that because I've got um, I've got several dozen of the young engineers here that are really passionate about doing exactly that in fact we, we, we run a a hackathon every quarter internally where people come up with their own ideas and kind of work in teams for 48 hours to kind of deliver them. And, you know, uh, very often um, a bunch of the teams here work on things around education. Now, we have we, we do very little at this point in time. We, we, we do certify skill sets. You could do little uh, multiple choice exams on the site in various areas and kind of get a badge to, you know, to prove that you, you have some knowledge in a particular area. These are pretty basic certifications at this point. But, you know, I, I certainly do think that an educational offering and, and uh, of course... Yeah, with 15 million users, we could populate that educational offering with a whole bunch of content from the freelancers who are skilled in all sorts of technical areas and, and, and niches and so forth. So it is an exciting thing for the future. We're not, we're not doing it right now, but like but it, but it is something that a bunch of guys here internally are really passionate about thinking about in the future.
0: The other thing is um, kind of creating a, a sort of consulting platform. I don't know if you've seen – you've probably seen uh, Clarity.fm where I could uh, – post my skill sets and then say how many dollars per minute I charge and then people arrange calls with me and, yeah. you know, people can do consulting via that. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, so I think, I, I think that's, I think that's an area that sort of going to go into, um, in a big way. So, um, I think that, you know, if you want your $500 per hour taxation advice, I think at some point in the future, you'll be able to, be able to go to sort of like a LinkedIn profile and click on someone and get your, you know, pay, pay per hour or pay per, per, per fifty minutes, etc. cetera, um, you know, it, it, again, I'm a, there's so many different ways you can get work done, right? You, you get work done. There's online uh, project based work, outsourcing work. There's crowds, ways of doing crowdsourcing. You've got ways in which you can pay per action. There's, you know, there's local jobs. There's online jobs. There's whatever. There's, you know, there's contract jobs. There's so many different ways people can work, which is, which is really exciting. And, you know, over time, we're going to build our offerings in all sorts of different areas.
0: And so, so what was there kind of like a critical point where you were like, uh, oh my gosh, this is a great idea and I'm doing nothing with my life at this point, so I better start this and and get going? Like, how did you sort of get into this?
1: Uh, It's it's kind of an interesting story. Um, So, I mean, my background is I I, I did computer science and engineering. I went to Stanford in 97, 98. It was quite fortuitous in terms of the time. I did a master's in electrical engineering um, uh, there. So, did you know Larry
0: Page and Sergey Brin there? I, I, I saw
1: them around. I took pity on their website because it was it was Google dot um, uh, Stanford edu, and I thought, okay, I'll just use their I'll use their, um, <laughs> their search engine uh, because because they, they were kind of like the underdog at the time. I didn't, I didn't really know them. Um, yeah. uh, in my class, however, I, did, I mean, I did a t- technology entrepreneurship class it was one of the guys who founded um, PayPal, uh, Ken Howery. Uh-huh. So you, know, you you're right in the middle of the whole the whole thing. Um, it's it's kind of funny. It, if I knew kind of now what I knew back then, <laughs> uh, it would be pretty amazing. But, um, uh, you know, it was a pretty exciting time. There was, there was just so much innovation going on. And, and even even while you knew, you'd see all these little startups kind of on campus and kind of at the time you thought, well, that's kind of interesting. Is it going to take off, et cetera? And then, you know, 10 years later, these are you know, very, very, very large companies. It's it was a pretty special. It's a pretty special place. It was a pretty special time.
0: Well, to be fair, but, also, what what's your, your company is public on the Australian Stock Exchange. What's the what's the yeah. market capitalization of your company? About half a billion. Half a billion. So it's 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 not like you're a small company either. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting there.
1: We're getting there. Um, yeah. So I mean, the, I mean, the history, the history behind how, how I started it was. Um, I, I actually came back to Australia and I started. it. I worked briefly in venture capital, but then I started a semiconductor business. We're building some integrated circuits and, um, you, you know, I ran it for 60 years and it's one of these things where you, you've got great technology, you've got a great team. It's just that the, the, it's just way too early for market. We were building gigabit chips, uh, to scan network traffic in a, in a world where there were no gigabit networks in the early two thousands. Uh, today that technology runs at 180 gigabit per second. I mean, like okay. it's just, you know, it's, it's just, you know, there's a, there's, yeah, and, the, and the way we sold it was all kind of wrong, but yeah, you know, that company ends up selling to Intel, um, which is great. Um, Now, uh, I, so I left that company in 2006 in December, 2007, 2008, I was kind of looking for something to do. I was working on a few little side projects and one of the side projects I was working on was, um, just uh, helping someone with a a website.
0: Were you you a little depressed at this point? Like you had just spent all these years building the semiconductor company and now you're just working on people's websites. Uh, I was actually crushed,
1: uh, emotionally and physically crushed because, um, the business didn't actually sell to Intel until 2013, so I left in about 2006. It was, you know, I was doing like a couple of million a year in revenue at the time. It hadn't set the world on fire. I'd spent six years, you know, you know, heart and soul, so sort of, you know, really, really trying to, 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 you know. I was probably too much in love with the product and um, not really thinking about it as much as a business, you know, we were selling this OEM into network equipment manufacturers. So, you know, it was a very technical sale, which was, we, we were comfortable with. It was VP Engineering to VP Engineering at McAfee or LG or, or, or wherever it may be. But, you know, it, you had a, to, to design a chip into a, someone else's product, I mean, the product might have an annual product cycle. You've got a two-year then potentially sales cycle to sell the product in. And then and then you've got to design it in, which maybe takes up to 18 months, and then and they'll ship a product. And, and because it's hardware, they're not going to put you in all the products. They'll put you in maybe a small product line. And, you know, it just takes forever to kind of – it's just it – just, the business model was all wrong. We should, have, we should have made our own boxes and sold the boxes directly in an enterprise sales model. But, you know, we were inexperienced in sales and we were a bit scared about that. So we kind of went down a different business model route. So there's, there's a whole bunch of different failures there. But anyway, you know, I was pretty crushed because I walked out of a business that, you know, it just taken so long to kind of get going. And, you know, I, I just – you know, it's it's just, it was just it's it's very very tough to be an entrepreneur, but um especially when most companies don't don't succeed or kind of limp along for a while. Right. And I was I was kind of looking for something to do. I was really just keep you know keep, keeping myself sort of entertained a little bit, uh, helping helping someone a uh, few people build some websites, and you know I had to get some data entry done. So I had to fill in a spreadsheet with the name name of a bunch of businesses, the email address, the phone number, the URL, etc. And you know, I thought maybe I need to get about a 1,000 a, a of these um, in the spreadsheet. Uh, it's really boring work. You know, the, way, the way you've got to do that is you've got to s- Google search for these businesses and enter in the contact details. I thought, you know, someone's little brother or sister would love to do this job. I'll pay them maybe $2 per row um, to fill in the details. It's about 1,000 rows. I'll pay them about $2,000. Surely some, someone will love this job. And, you know, it just took, you know, I spent four months trying to find someone who would do this job, and I, it was just impossible. I'll define people, but I'd work for half an hour. They'll tell me it's really boring. I said, yes, I know it's really boring. I'm paying you $2,000, right? Uh, You know, I've got soccer practice. I've got exams. And and then eventually, after four months, I just got really, really frustrated. And I posted, I I did a Google search. I think I search for cheap data entry online or something like that. And I found this website called Get Free Answer. And I looked at the site, and I wasn't quite sure what to make of it. It looked like Craigslist. It was the ugliest website thing I've ever seen. It was just all these greys and whatever. It was just looked look terrible. And, but it had all this activity on it. I wasn't quite sure what was going on. It seems like people were getting jobs done there, etc. So I posted a job and I kind of forgot about it. I walked away and three hours later I came and looked at my email and I had 74 emails in my inbox saying I'll do it for $2,000, $1,500, 300 200 $100. Wow. I thought to myself, no, no way. I, I've spent four months trying to get someone to do a job. And there are 74 people willing to do the job. It's just unbelievable. And and, and for $100, I'm I'm willing to pay $2,000. I couldn't find someone to do it for $2,000. Now they're willing to do it for $100. I thought, this is ridiculous. This 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 can't be right. So I hired a team. They were in Vietnam. The job was done in three days. It was perfect. And I didn't have to pay until the job was done. And I just thought to myself, wow, this is the real sort of eureka moment. This is when the light bulb was going off my head. And I just thought, this really solves a problem for me you know, and, uh, you know, I mean, every great business needs to have a problem that's being solved, right?
0: So did you, did you never experience this? Wow. With your old business, like that kind of like excite, excited sort of feeling where, Oh my God, there's demand for this. I think, I think think in my other business, I had
1: a really active imagination. I kind of thought, well, wow, this technology could do this and could do that, et cetera. But it, it, it was really just a it was the grind. It was, you know, you'd go and you'd meet network equipment manufacturers. You'd pitch the product. They'd come of be half interested. You'd say we will do a demo, et cetera. It, was, it wasn't this moment where it was like, wow, I can now hire an army with a credit card to right. do anything, right? And here I am, an entrepreneur, slightly crushed from my last business, right, slightly demoralized, not really wanting to kind of go, you know, after six years of just really just – I was, you know, f- flying – Trans-Pacific flights, you know, once a month for six years, it just physically tired, I thought, wow, I can now start a business with maybe no employees, sit at home in my pajamas and just hire people so cheaply to do the things I can't do, right? Like graphic, I, you know, I, could, I can program, but I can't do graphic design. So I, I, you know, it's amazing. And I thought to myself, wow, and I was just thinking to myself, I, I could just build so many businesses just off the back of a credit card and then I thought to myself, hang on a tick, this is kind of like an eBay for jobs. I thought, surely this is like a massive opportunity here. I thought, you know, you have global marketplaces for products. Surely global marketplace for services is kind of an obvious category that no one really had thought about it at that point in time, really. And I thought, why hasn't eBay done it? Right? I thought, I thought, and so I, I thought, I need to get into the space. I thought, this is amazing. So I started a website called biditout.com. And I hired freelancers off-getter freelancers to copy-getter freelancers. So, you know, I'll, I'll do programming. They'll do the graphic design and, and this, that, the other. And after a few weeks, I got a basic little prototype up and running. And I kind of figured out the model. And I thought, okay, well, uh, let's do a little rudimentary financial model. How much money do I need to raise to kind of get this going? Maybe I can to raise about $4 million to get it going. And I thought, oh, gee, you know, that's going to that's gonna take a while. And I did a bit of a survey of the space. And there were, there were hundreds of little companies trying to do this. Um, but none of them really had any traction. There was about twelve that had some traction, but no one really had set the world on fire at that point. And I thought to myself, wow, no one's gonna really finance me to be the number thirteen. And um so maybe I need to try, try and really buy rather than build and see if I can kind of buy one of these sites to kind of get a bit of a head start. So I asked about six or so of them are you interested in potentially selling to me? And about three or
0: four of them said, yeah, I'm interested in selling. For cash uh, or for equity, were they going to sell? Uh,
1: cash. Mm-hmm. I, I had no I had no equity at all them at that point. I was just a guy at home in his pajamas, right? So I said, um, I said, well, okay, well, how, much, how much do you want? And ironically, the one I liked the most was the one I used first, which is Get a Free Answer. And the reason why I liked it is because it had more traffic than any other website in the world uh, in this space. And the reason why... I found it was because they dominated in search engine optimization okay. SEO. So when I typed in cheap data entry, they ranked number one, okay. and, and that's why they had so much traffic. It just the, the site was ugly; it was it was badly put together. I mean, the guy who ran it did a fantastic job getting it where, where, where it got to. Had about half a million users, uh, had a huge amount of traffic. It just it just it you know, it it just was badly monetized. And why, so, why, why
0: did they want to sell rather than, they, they must have saw, seen the growth potential here.
1: Well, the, problem, the the issue is the whole industry only really got going around 2008, 2009. And the reason why is the before 2008, 2009, there was no real internet in the developing world. So the primary driver of this business is wage arbitrage, right? And the fact that. You know, you can get a website built for $100 that will cost you $1,000 somewhere else in the U.S., right? Mm -hmm. And before that, I mean, back in 1999, if you think about this industry, the value proposition was um, that website that's going to cost you $10,000 from the local web designer, you can get it done through a website where it will cost you $10,000 as well. But back in 1999, the internet was kind of slow uh, there was no Dropbox. You couldn't really share files easily. You couldn't upload them. You, know, you had to meet the designer down a cafe at some point and give them the, the CD-ROM or here to give you the CD-ROM, the files back, etc. So it was kind of a bit of an inconvenience going through a website to get these things done. It, it, I mean, the, the speed of the internet wasn't there. The tools weren't there and so on. But over the years, the you know, internet got better and better. The tools got better and better. The, you know, software you know, it started eating the world and heading into the cloud and all that sort of stuff. And, but around 2007, 2008, 2009, a few things happened. It was a kind of a confluence of events. Number one, the internet hit the developing world. So for the first time in the Philippines or Indo- uh, Indonesia or uh, India and so forth, you can maybe get uh, a home internet connection um, and so on. And so the developing world were going, was going online. So you 5 billion people were connecting to the internet. Over, you know, at the moment, we're, 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 about, we're about 3 billion. We have 5 billion people who earn under $10 a day who want to go online. And, and when, you know, the minute they hear about one of their friends making a month salary in a few hours or a few days, all of a sudden it's just, wow, how, how can I get on the internet? Right. Like this is, this is amazing. And uh, it's a really powerful motivator to get connected and, 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 and skill up and, 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 and learn and, and, and get in there. So you had like this this huge labor force that was coming online. At the same time, you had the global financial crisis in the U.S. So small businesses were looking for new things, looking for new ways of doing things. Instead of hiring that full-time designer or whatever, maybe I can find a cheaper way of doing things. So I was searching the internet. You had a lot of people in the U.S. out of work. And they weren't so much going online and freelancing, although some were. But they suddenly had a lot of time on their hands. So, you know, that website I've always promised to build or help build for my wife or, or for my, you know, my my grandmother or for a cafe or, or whatever it is. You know, I've got some spare time now. I'll help them out, right? And all that side project, you know, I've always wanted to kind of figure out if I could get a little app, app build or whatever it may be. Uh, you know, I've got some spare time now to kind of go, go get that done, right? And so, you had, had demand suddenly coming and looking for new ways of doing things. You had supply coming online in a big way. The software tools were getting there. You had, you know, communication, voice of RP, things like that now. You could actually communicate and so on. And so, the industry only really just started around that time. So, so all these guys who started back in 1999, 2000, 2004, they've been running their business for a long time. Like, so, Get a Free Answer started in 2004. By 2009 it's been five years just trying to get the business growing and it was growing it was just that it was just five years of hard 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 work being a little bit too early for the market and you know at that point in time I said to him how much money do you want he told me the price I thought wow that's actually less money than than, than I was going to raise to start a business from scratch so I am as well try and buy this business can, can, I ask
0: how, can I ask how much money I mean it's probably yeah, public It's public now because we're a
1: public company so all yeah. this stuff gets disclosed in disclosure documents it was three and a half million dollars so so and it was doing about a million dollars a year in revenue wow. so so you know i thought wow it's, you know that first you know as any entrepreneur would know this that first million dollars in revenue is the hardest million dollars you'll ever make in your entire life it is just that first million is just so tough once you've got a million dollars in revenue it's kind of like an optimization uh, operations research problem right you kind of you can pull a few levers over here you know, you can, you can statistically test that, they'd be testing and so on. Was that better or was that worse? If it's better, let's keep doing that. If it's worse, let's do it. Let's revert, let's do something else. And so, you know, that, once you get out of that hump of the first million in revenue, which is what this site had done for me, then you're away, right? And I knew I, I, there was a lot of problems with the site and how it worked, the business model, et cetera. And, you know, the, you know basically, I said, great, let, let's do it. I got, so, I got, so you
0: uh, knew, you knew, like you were able to say to potential investors, "Hey, they're doing a million in revenue, but I know with a few tweaks I can get this up to like five million in revenue."
1: Yeah, I, 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 I did. Now the, the unfortunate thing is, the, none of the investors would actually would understand it, right? I mean, most venture capital, early stage venture capital investors expect four guys in a room with PowerPoint and no revenue. And I hear I was saying, "Well, I want to, I want to buy this site." And um, it's doing a million a year in revenue, and it's been running for whatever years, and you know, and it's run by a guy living on a fish farm in Vanuatu, a Swedish guy. And they're like, "What?" And they look at the site; it looked terrible. Like, what? What is this? A, a, a Swedish guy living on a fish farm in Vanuatu? This site looks... T- what, what is, this is. They wouldn't understand it. Or the ones that would understand it go, "This is kind of like a management buy-in." So, management buy-ins. I give you five percent of the company to kind of, you know, whatever. And it was, just, it was and it was very, very tough. Um, but I found uh, there's a guy I knew. Uh, Simon Clausen, who um, had started PC Tools, that story I told you about before about right. the antivirus software, and he got it straight away because I mean he had started his original business like like you, you mentioned your website and how you got that done so cheaply and you'd sold it right. I mean he'd done the same thing right, so he'd he built a software business using freelancers. And he just thought straight away he just got it right, so uh, he gave me the money uh, and I bought the business and then and then I kind of you know, went there and I fixed up all the the bugs that I kind of saw in the site and I got the graphics up to date and, and you know, every time I improved something the revenue went up and. I could use that revenue to hire more people. And that, I mean, that's all I do in this business is I look for incremental revenue opportunities. And, and as I make a dollar more, I hire another person.
0: So, so uh, what was the biggest change you made early on to kind of like, uh, quote unquote, growth hack it, hack the business a little higher?
1: Uh, well, I mean, there's several things. Um, the, the business model originally was 10% commission being uh, levied to the freelancers. So the, the employers post the jobs. Um, uh, that cost had, originally it was five dollars, uh, which was refunded to you if you if you pick someone, and then the freelancer had to pay ten percent commission. Um, but if you uh, were on a membership, a gold membership, that commission was zero. Ah, so and that's so, great. And so seventy six percent of the turnover of the business was at zero. And so I I, I changed it from zero to three percent, and the revenue really picked up. I mean, the other problem was the affiliate program paid out a hundred percent. Of revenue and so those gold memberships at $12 a month, they will be paid out at 100% so I mean the business was seeing them had a that economic activity but it just wasn't um, making any money and the other thing was the graphics were just so terrible, I mean it looked like Craigslist and and I just fresh, I had a friend of mine who was a designer in New York, I said listen can you kind of come up with a template for me or a skin and, and I, I, I actually did original um, programming to kind of put that skin on the site and that doubled revenue it was just wow. amazing. It just, double, it just went from a... So I want to buy Craigslist because I want to risk in their
0: website. <laughs> it's funny, the connection between design and revenues, actually.
1: Well, the amazing thing about being a designer is today is that the designers really have the opportunity to move right up the value chain, right? So the difference between Airbnb and a billion-dollar business and, and, and an Airbnb that goes nowhere is down to design. It's down to user experience, but understanding behavioral economics, Understanding conversion optimization and, and 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 so forth and behavioral psychology and let me tell you if you're a designer today you designers are like the hardest job function that I that for me to hire you yeah, know I can hire engineers that's tough that's in tough supply data scientists are remarkably easy to hire I don't I don't know why I would have thought they were really hard but they're they're, they're actually fairly straightforward. Uh, I guess because if you're a physicist, the, the opportunities either you want to work at a at, a, you know, at CERN or whatever and, and, and not be paid very much, or or, or work in finance. And then, uh, you know, if you want to get into tech, it's a huge opportunity for data scientists. But designers, you know, it's the toughest role to hire um, to get really good designers. And if you're really really good at what you do, you're the guy that or girl that's going to turn a business into a multi billion dollar business if you just get it right. Because a lot a lot of the thing with with distribution being online now of a product and services, so you distribute through a website or an app or whatever, if that app is great, it looks great, it's got the delight in there, and you've really thought about the you know, how the user, how that app makes that user a better version of themselves, then that is the key. In, and you, you can translate that into the design. That is the key thing that will make or break a business in tech.
0: That's, that's really interesting. Well, uh, this has been such a fascinating conversation, Matt. Like, I'm really jealous, actually. I didn't go out there and buy ghetto freelance myself uh, at the time. Like, you, you were there at, at, in the right place at the right time. And and you're right. Like, I had the sense, too, this is a great idea, except I was using it to build businesses rather than buying the business itself. So you were very <laughs> smart. Yeah,
1: I mean, in, in anything, it's, it's timing and luck. You know, and, 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 and I guess... No, yeah.
0: I mean, you you had the insight. You had that wow feeling that, oh yeah. my gosh, this is real demand because I'm feeling yeah. the demand.
1: Yeah, I mean, you've got to have, got to have initiative, right? And I, and I guess, you know, it was a combination of things. If I, if I was six months earlier, it would have, it would have probably not have, not have worked. And if I was six months later, you know, they would have all been financed by venture capitalists or, or bought and, and it would have, all would have gone. I was lucky I went in there early. And then the other thing I did was I... Um, I bought all the competitors. So you know, when I when I got going and I made a bit of money, every time I, I made a dollar, I, I basically hired someone that was smarter than me to help build the business. And then when I got enough cash uh, to buy the competitors, I started with the small guys and worked my way up. So we bought um, uh, sixteen, I think, marketplaces now. I think at the top of my head. Um,
0: yes, yeah, so, so, uh, Scriptlands was the company I used uh, in two thousand six. Yeah.
1: Yeah, script lance, get a franceanza rentkota v worker uh francekota u uh, k denanza you, know, you name it so you know uh, that was another pretty successful strategy to kind of go there and you know buy out all the competitors before anyone else could
0: and then and then you went public and now you're still growing yeah so we went public in November
1: of two thousand and thirteen it was actually a pretty a pretty exciting day because um you know, we went public on the Australian Securities Exchange. And for those of you who don't know about the Australian stock market, it's the fourth biggest equity capital market in the world. It's the same size as NASDAQ. It's just that it's all in resources and, and mining for the most part, but it's done a phenomenally well in financing the resources industry. If you go and start an early stage mining company, you don't go to Coal Hill Road and knock on doors and beg for a, preferred, a complicated preferred stock structure from a venture capitalist. You just go write a prospectus. And you crowdsource the financing um, uh, through the stock exchange, right? And you go and you, you, you write a prospectus, you issue it to the market, and people fund it, right? It's a bit like Kickstarter for, for grown-ups, right? Oh, it's funny. Uh, And, you know, I had written profu- pro- prolifically uh, beforehand saying that the future for the technology industry in Australia is crowdsource finance through the Australian Security Exchange. We've done it for resources. We can do it in for tech. We've got some, for very similar um, risk-reward profiles, and the venture capital industry in Australia is dead and will never, never come back. So, for a bunch of reasons. So, so, you know, we, we thought, okay, well, let's give it a go. We, we bootstrapped the business, uh, from the original uh, fundraising from Simon for five years. And then we, we wrote a prospectus and we, and we listed on the, uh, we, the issue price was 50 cents. The stock opened at $2.50. Wow. Uh, it was the third biggest opening ever on the Australian Securities Exchange, it actually opened at 1.1 billion market cap. Uh, I was kind of looking for the share price. Uh, it, was like, it, was, it was kind of like that week you had um, Twitter was Twitter ipo was IPOing, so they had, they had their bird out the front of the, the stock exchange in New York. We had our bird out the front of the ASX in Neon. They um, uh. had all the press there and so forth. It's my Justin Bieber for about five minutes. They said ring the, ring the bell uh, hard because the last person that rang the bell was a little Japanese man who didn't really make a noise. So I rang the bell. The bell broke.
0: Oh, the no. ASX
1: broke. I mean, this is what new technology does to old technology. I was trying to look for the share price. You know, the issue price is fifty cents. I'm looking for something, you know, eighty cents or whatever it may be. I see this two point five oh or what's that? the share price. So it was, it was a pretty phenomenal moment uh, for, for for a little while. But um, you know, um, you know, that worked out really well for us. Um, the business is growing strongly. We've got a great team. We've got four hundred staff now around the world. Uh, Fifteen million people on the site. Seven point five million projects. If you haven't given it a go, I encourage you to give it a go. It's free to post a project now. We got rid of that five dollar fee. That was another little growth hack that got the business, uh, you know, uh, booming uh, by by lowering the cost uh, for for the demand side to to transact, and um, it's just incredible. Just just you know, people, investment banks. Every time I go and talk to an investment bank or a financial fund manager that's now a shareholder in the business. You know, they they tell me the next time I meet with them, they've they've got their financial models now developed on Freelancer, or that or they're using freelancers to scrape the content off the sites that off the businesses that they, that are investors in, so they can track the performance of them. So they scrape the listings off companies like Seek to know how many job listings per day there are, or car sales, or whatever it may be. Uh, people are getting you know, you know financial models developed. I mean, every every year, it's just the sophistication and complexity of the jobs just goes up and up and up, and it, it's just a it's a phenomenal business to run.
0: I, I think the real exciting thing for for potential listeners here is to come up with, essentially, ideas for businesses. You can start cheap by using freelancer.com, businesses or books or any sort of project. So yeah. I, I, I'm a user, so I, I'm a big fan. I mean, I, would lo- I mean, if any of, the, any of the listeners out there uh, has got any ideas and, and,
1: and post, or are about to post a job and get good results, I'd love to hear uh, how, how, how the, how the results were and love to hear about all sorts of crazy things you've done on the site. I mean, my email address is just M-A-T-T, M-A-T-T at france.com. I'm happy to receive emails from anyone. Uh, but you know, it's always exciting to kind of talk to people and see all the, you know, wild, wonderful and crazy things they do on the site.
0: Well, Matt, thanks so much. Uh, I know it's like, I don't know, if it's, is it the middle of the night or the middle of the morning in Australia? It's uh, almost midnight midnight on a Friday night,
1: so it might be time for a beer or two.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> good luck. And I, thanks so much for taking the time. And um, I hope people use the site. And and good luck. Likewise. Thank you
1: very much. I really enjoyed the conversation.
0: Thanks, Matt. Bye. Me too. Okay. For more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network at stansberryradio.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today.